right. Well, if you have a Bible, if you'd open to Genesis or Genesis or Exodus, Exodus 3, <laughs> Exodus 3, 1 through 15, that's where we'll be reading this morning. It's good to be with you today. I have not been up on the stage for three, for two weeks, and so I'm excited to preach and be here today. So two weeks ago, we had Amplify. Last week, we had Pastor Micah preach. And now there's this thing. I remember I was in college and the guy, his name's Craig Joring, he was mentoring me at the time and we went to this kind of concert speaking thing at this church and the worship leader up front just kept talking between every song and this guy who was mentoring me, he leaned over to me and said, if you're going to preach, preach, if you're going to sing, sing, don't do both, right? It was that minute. So Micah disproved my theory, right? Like uh, the, the singer can preach, huh? Like, what a great word we had last week. And so uh, that was not convincing. And so, uh, but uh, uh, what a great week, um, what God did here at at North Canton last week. And so I was in New York in Queens um, doing an installation of a young man that I had the privilege to um, be a part of his discipleship. I preached at his ordination. I did his wedding. And now I did his installation. He's 28 years old. He has a church that represents 24 nations in the middle of Queens, New York. He moved from Brandon, Mississippi to Queens. Lord, help that young man, right? It's a little bit different. Um, So it's really good to be here this week. So on our way to New York, we decided to leave a day, about a half a day early, and we drove through Philadelphia because our girls had been studying uh, American history and they like the, the the Liberty Bell and all these things and so we we went and we did all these tours and at the end of has anybody been there like to the Independence Hall and anyway we did that whole thing and so we're in Independence Hall and this guy gets up and the ranger and he's telling the story and at the very end of this whole thing he said um, <clears throat> so in that room in Independence Hall um, Benjamin Franklin and all George Washington they're all sitting in a room in secret crafting the draft, what would become our constitution. And at the end of this, Ben Franklin stands up and he says, I've been observing that sun that's behind your head in which George Washington was on a chair and there was a sun graved into it. And he said, I've been observing that sun. And he goes, I've wondered often as we've crafted this, whether the sun is setting on a nation or rising. And he goes, I am convinced today that the sun is, is rising upon a new nation. This is where the people in Israel were at this point. They had been held in captivity for 400 years. That Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then Joseph, right? Joseph brings all the people. That's where we ended last week. Joseph brings all the people of Israel into one place because there was a famine in the land they were provided for. But then a Pharaoh rose up who did not know Joseph. And he was afraid of all of these people. And so he took them into enslavement. And for 400 years, they were enslaved. And in these 400 years, they had to have been at this place of wondering, probably convinced that the sun had set on them. There was no hope that their plight was finished, that it was over. But here's the deal. God, in the moments where we think there's no hope, he's always working behind the scenes. He is always caring for those he loves. And he had a plan and he had a mission and it's going to be accomplished through a servant. And so where we find ourselves is, right, this 400 years of captivity 
So in, in this time in Egypt, Pharaoh, right, he, the Pharaoh was in control of all things as a, as, a, as a God to the people. Moses is born. He lived as an orphan. If you've ever heard the story, right, this, he's put in a basket because his mother's afraid, afraid of, and, and then he would have been killed. And there he's taken into the house of the Pharaoh and he's raised up. He's 40 years old. He sees, uh, sees a, a Hebrew man being mistreated. He kills the Egyptian that is mistreating him. He hears that Pharaoh wants to kill him. He flees for another 40 years. You hearing this? 80 years old. This is what we're getting at. He lives to 120. So 80 years old, he's, he has this moment where God steps into his life. So if you will, let's stand this morning in reverence and honor of reading God's word, reading Exodus 3, 1 through 15. So he's out in the field, and then... He sees this, 3-1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place of which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father and the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Pizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, And now behold, the the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you might bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I, who am I, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Covenant name of God. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God has also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Father, would you speak to us from your word as you already have today? Lord, give us clear insight, not only into your word, into your truths, but let your truths impact our lives, that we might live for you. 
Lord, I pray today that our ears would not be tickled by your word, that our pride would not, would, our pride would not abound through it. But Lord, in humility, you would teach us. Use me to that end, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So in this passage, we are going to see many things, but we're going to see three things um, clearly in this text about Moses, but more importantly, this text isn't about Moses at all. This text is about God. And the whole story of Moses isn't about Moses. The whole story of Moses is about God. When Moses actually thinks it's about Moses is when Moses gets in trouble and he doesn't get what God had promised him anymore, right? And so this text is not about Moses. Actually, none of the Bible is about any individual except God. This text is about God and what he is and what he has done. So the first thing, first thing we see is that God is holy. God is holy. Exodus 3, 4, and 6, read through it again. It says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, which is almost this abruptive, like earth-shattering. Imagine God crying out your name. He says, Moses, Moses, like to grab him. Don't do what you're about to do because here's the deal. You must wrongly in God and you will be put to death quickly. He grabs his attention, like listen to what I'm about to say, Moses. Because see, we're not dealing with man to man here. We're dealing with man to God. And man to God is very different than man to man. So in this moment, right, he says, take off your sandals. Where you are standing, you're standing on holy ground. The presence of God is a holy thing. And in this moment, God says, hey, wake up. There's something happening here that is unique, that is special. I am going to do something with you and through you. This is a holy moment. Take off your sandals. So then Moses hid his face. Notice in hiding his face, I think this is more than reverence. This is a posture in which he had to take because of who he was standing before. It wasn't just kind of this, oh, there's someone important, I'm going to bow down. It was a moment of quickness of realizing that he was standing before a holy God. See, he was afraid to look at God, and rightly so. See, God's holiness and voice required Moses to give up everything. So in this moment, Moses had this complete posture of surrender because he was standing before God. So catch this, when, when we stand before God, we're done. See, we can talk all we want to to one another. We can talk about each other. We can live this way and we can do whatever we want. But when we stand before God, we will shut our mouths. And the truth will come out. I remember a pastor, that was a, it was a seminary teacher of mine. Him and his deacon were having this scuffle. There was rumors going around that were lies and what's true. And this pastor said, all right, let's do this. We're going to kneel down in my office right now. And whoever's wrong, God's going to strike dead. <laughs> the pastor actually had a really good view of God. Because see, what's true, the, the mouth will shut when, when what's, what's real comes out. So in this moment, Moses is standing before God, and we all will stand before God. And when we stand before God, mouths go shut. Because we're not dealing with man to man here. 
This isn't a bartering thing. This is a holy God and we sinful people. There's a book that I, someone gave me recently, um, and I, I guess they told me I should have had it a long time ago. It's called The Valley of Vision, a collection of Puritan prayers and devotions. <clears throat> One's called God Myself. I want to read it to you this morning. It says this, Lord God Almighty, thy understanding is unsearchable and infinite. Thy arm cannot be stayed. Thy agency extends through limitless space. All works hang on your care. With thee, time is a, present, is a present now. Holy is thy wisdom, power, mercy, ways, works. How can I stand before thee with my numberless and aggravated offenses? I have often loved darkness, observed lying vanities, forsaken thy given mercies, trampled underfoot thy beloved son, mocked thy providences, flattered thee with my lips, broken thy covenant. It is of thy compassion that I am not consumed. Lead me to repentance and save me from despair. Let me come to thee renouncing, condemning, and loathing myself, but hoping in the grace that flows even to the chief of sinners. At the cross may I contemplate the evil of sin and abhor it. Look on him whom I pierced as one slain for me and by me. May I never despise his death by fearing its effectiveness. I'll say it like that efficacy, there we go, um, for my salvation. And whatever cross I'm required to bear, let me see him carrying a heavier. Teach me in health to think of sickness, in the brightest hours to be ready for darkness, in life prepare me for death. Thus may my soul rest in thee, O immortal and transcendent one, revealed as thou art in the person and work of thy son the friend of sinners. And that writing, isn't there just just weightiness of the writer's view of God, who he sees him to be, the weight of his holiness and grandeur amongst and in front of his sinfulness. See, show me a man enamored by the holiness of God and I will show you a man that is not concerned with himself, his opinions, his works of righteousness, his work ethic, his possessions, his so-called spiritual intellect. Show me a man enamored with the holiness of God, and I'll show you a man who is not concerned with these things. To know God's holiness is to know our unholiness. To know God's holy is to know his self-dependence. To know God... To know God's holiness is to know how much we need him. See, the story of Moses is the story of God moving and acting, a holy God, engaging in the affairs of humanity, yet being far above humanity and far beyond them. And he still is this today. He has not changed. So we see that God is holy. Second, we see that God is aware. Not only is God holy, but God is aware So we look in verse 7 through 12, reads, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I don't know if you know this about slavery, but it is not just some, like, man, they just had bad jobs. They 
just, you know, didn't have good conditions. That's not slavery. It wasn't then, and it wasn't in American history, and it never has been. Slavery is a terrible thing. Where people have barely enough food to live, where they are beaten and they are bruised if they don't make their quotas. And this was true in this time. The oppression of the people of Israel was beyond imagination of how human beings ought to be treated. Made in the very image of God. He saw their affliction. As we look through this text, he says, I have seen their affliction, their pain, and their suffering. I have heard their cry, their call to me. And this is more, right? It's not just this, hey, God, can you help us? It's this call of desperation. I am undone. I have no hope. I have no help. Have you ever been in that place with God? Saying, God, I don't know what to do. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe it's a son. Maybe it's a daughter. Maybe it's a situation. Maybe it's a secret that no one else knows but you. But there's this moment of, I don't know what to do. I've been there in other times of my life, but I definitely was there when I came to know Jesus as my Savior. I remember a critical point of just saying, God, I am undone. I, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm ruined and I'm finished without you. He heard their cry, their call to him. He says, I know their sufferings, their physical, their mental, and their spiritual sufferings. God is aware of our pain that we face on this earth. Physically, mentally, spiritually, he knows the levels of pain that we go through because physical pain isn't just that, is it? There's mental anguish in physical pain. And in this, there comes this hopelessness of the soul. In this hopelessness of the soul, we, we come to a place where we, we're needy. We need God to step in in some way. And so then God says to Moses, I am going to send you to Pharaoh and use you to bring redemption to my people. So in this moment, he says that he is going to use Moses, the one who has been cast away, right, to, to bring redemption to my people. Now, it's really interesting how this is, interaction is going to go on with Pharaoh. So Moses is going to be given this guy named Aaron, and Aaron and Moses, they're going to go in. And as they go in, Moses is going to kind of act like a Pharaoh. And so God sets this up in a really interesting way. So what happens is God's going to go into Pharaoh. Now, have you ever heard of the, the 10 plagues? This is what's about to happen. And so he's going to go in and God's going to show himself mighty and powerful. And Moses did not look like Charlton Heston, I don't believe. And, uh, but in that, if that helps you remember this story, that's good. And so, so he's going to go in. And so what's going to happen is Moses is going to tell Aaron something. Aaron's going to go tell tell Pharaoh's people something, then they're going to tell Pharaoh, and it's going to kind of go back and forth like this. And Moses is going to kind of show himself more powerful, right? More strong. That His God is stronger than Pharaoh's gods. So in this, what we see, though, is why. Why is he going to do this? And so what happens is he says to Moses again, I am going to send you to Pharaoh and use you to bring redemption to my people. What he says is it's mission time. I'm about to send you to do a work that you cannot do yourself. See, God's work has been done through his servants and the injustice that happens in this world, God uses us, his people, to step into it. Injustice is not our first world inconveniences. It is this kind of global, and at this time, it's a global, systematic 
destruction, oppression of a people group. Did you know that in the world right now, there's over about seven plus, seven and a half billion people? It's, it's probably likely that about 75% of those people don't have any faith in Jesus at all. That there's, over, there's thousands of people groups that have never even heard the name of Jesus. Now, if you believe what we were singing this morning, I was teaching a Bible study this week and one of the men said, if this is true, right? If all this is true, we must tell people more, right? There's this reality of life and death and the reality that there is a, a world that doesn't know the one Savior who came to die for them. You know, I've been in churches for the last 18 years. And I think one of the things that saddens me most about pastoring in churches is how little we cry over the lost and how much we cry over the most trite things in the world. I remember when I was a part of Campus Crusade for Christ. See, we weren't a church. We were just a bunch of college students that wanted to see every person on our campus know Jesus. I always said, I've always been working, trying to get back to that. Because in the church, man, we'll fight over everything else but that. I don't think that's fully true of this church. But I think it could be more. See, not only this like, global issue that we face of this great gospel message going out. By the way, that's the big deal of the church, right? Anybody got me here? Amen? With me? Preach on? Got that? Word up? Something? All right. See, not only this great lostness of our world, but there's 140 million orphans in the world. There's 30 million in labor and sexual slavery in our world. There is a brokenness in our world. I mean, you take all of Manhattan, all of, all of New York, 22 million people, you couldn't fill it up with the orphans that are in this world. And just try to wrap our minds around that. But then we say things like this. God hasn't called me to do that. And God really hasn't called me to be an evangelist. God hasn't called me to do this. God hasn't called me to do that. So, like, what has God called you to do? Anything? Like, Ryan, what, what's God called you to do? Anything? God has been a God from the beginning of time. Here, we're, we're right back there at the beginning of time, I believe who is calling his people out to step into the brokenness of our world. Not by our own power, but by his power and by his strength. And so if you say that I can't do it, you are dead on. You can't. But I promise you this, the living power of God in you, his Holy Spirit, you can do excessively more than you could ever think, dream, or imagine. You know that in the last two years, in May 1, we'll be sending our next, Nate and Rachel Stone are working with human trafficking in the Dominican Republic. Tim Talley is going to go plant churches and, and work in human trafficking and work to, to help the exploited and the trafficked in Thailand. But around this room, there's, there's all kinds of foster parents and adoptive parents. I believe that God is using people right here to step into that. But see, I, I don't believe that we can just like rah-rah that. I think God wants us to do more. 
He, he wants us to do more. He wants us to step into more. And you don't have to go to Thailand and you don't have to go to the Dominican Republic to do that because there are those that are trafficked right here in Canton, Ohio. There are orphans right here in Canton, Ohio. There are lost people right here in Canton, Ohio. And as God leads us and as we step into these things, I believe that as Moses, as Moses, and we're gonna see this greater thing that God says, I am more powerful than all of this other stuff. He will use us to step into these things. See, God is one who sees and uses us to step into the afflicted. I don't know if you hear this today, but God sees the hurting and the brokenness in the world. And not just in these fantastic ways. I promise you this today. He sees your hurting. He sees your affliction. And he hears your cry. And you say, I don't think that's true. I say it on the authority of God's word today. He sees it. He hears it in your life. God is one who sees and uses us to step into the afflicted, to help the hurting. We're not just sitting here and saying, oh man, just praise God. He's, a, he's hope for the orphan. Well, you are his hope for the orphan. There's no orphan sitting in the middle of Africa going, I'm so glad God's my father. I'm glad I know him today. Like we can be the father to the fatherless by the hands of our savior. He's using us to step into these things. See, God is one who sees and uses us to step into the afflicted, to help the hurting, to care for the sick. Jesus did not come for the well. And if you think today you're the well, you've missed the gospel altogether. We are a bunch of sick in which have been rescued and healed through him. If you've been healed, just raise your hand and say, like, praise God. Just for a minute, just say, like, I, I was not well. Raise your hand if you, didn't, if you weren't well, right? You've been healed, it's one of the wonderful things about being in the church. I don't know, you might go to other churches, but beauty of North Canton Chapel, we're a bunch of messed up people here, right? <laughs> right, that's, that's how this works. And some worse than others, I'll tell you their names later. And so, <laughs> so he is not unaware, he does hear, he is moving, he is working always for his own good. And in the end, it is for our greater good. God is moving in this world. God hears the cry. He knows our afflictions. He knows our sufferings. And he knows those who are suffering. And he is calling us out to step into them as he did Moses. So God is holy. God is aware. And God is God. God is God. And you may think at that point, wow, Ryan, that's really lazy bullet points. You just use two words the same one, but God is God. See, this is when the text gets really rich because the covenant name of God now pops out. And he says, who is this? Like, how, how do I say this? Moses is like, I don't, what am I gonna do? Why will anybody listen to me? And he says, you tell him this, I am that I am. Again, the covenant name of God, we could almost say it like this. This is the first name of God. Now there's, hundreds of names of God, but this is the first name of God. He says, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, meaning this, that God eternally exists. He is not like us. This isn't man to man. This is man to God. God eternally exists. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is forever. There's no other reality beyond God. There is no reality that was before him or bang or anything else. God is God. 
There's no reality. He is the apex of all things. He is unchanging. He is not moving. He is not shaking. He, he has been, will be, always will be the same. He, again, is unending. He is not subjective, right? It doesn't matter what you think he is or what you don't think he is. He is. Our opinions don't matter. And I'm pretty sure that many of us have many opinions, but on God, there's only one thing that defines him, and that is this book. And we will spend all eternity, those who know him, diving into the depths of his truth, right? He is not subjective. He is. He is truth. This is not for our opinion. He is. We conform to him, not reversed. God is not conforming to us. We conform to him. So what happens in this, God is God. So Moses obeys God. He goes, goes in, him and Aaron, they walk in, they challenge Pharaoh. God gives him explicit instructions and he obeys these explicit, these, these explicit instructions. I can't talk for some reason. He obeys these things and he goes in and there are going to be 10 events that happen. Now, these 10 events that happen are going to go right against the gods, which there are hundreds and thousands of gods in Egypt at this time. And each one of these is going to go right up opposing the gods of Egypt. And as he opposes the gods of Egypt, what he is saying is, I am stronger, better. Now, what Pharaoh's going to do is he's, as this goes, he's going to progressively become concerned, but his heart is going to get hard. And there's this kind of back and forth. So he'll see the miracle. He'll contemplate it. At times he'll go, uh, maybe this is right. Then his heart grows hard overnight. And then it happens again. And I believe that in the sovereignty of God, what God is going to do is show two things over the gods of Egypt and over creation, that he is God, that he is in control and that there is none above him. There is none that exists beyond him. So he turns water to blood and the gods that were the guardians of the river source, the God of Nile and more were proven They were not mighty in their power and their strength, but God was better. Frogs. There was a frog goddess, two of them, right? Shows that I am mightier than your gods. The land was filled with frogs. And this is just this moment of like, I can't imagine my wife screaming in these moments, right? Frogs. Lice. Flies. Cattle. Boils. Hail. Locusts. All of these plagues come, and as these plagues come, all of their gods are shown that they are weak, they are not gods at all, but God is God. Then comes darkness. There was the Egyptian sun god and the moon gods. These were very, very powerful gods. Now, I don't know if you could just think about this. There's, There's events in history, two times this has happened. It happens here and it happens at the cross where the night goes black. And in this miracle, what God does, he says, the things that bring everything life, I'm God. I can control them. 
I'm bigger than them. Now you can try to like maybe with our science like explain some of these things away, but what I would say is this, is sometimes you can't quite explain God. Most times you can't quite explain God. So in this, darkness, it comes, it covers the land. And then the last, the plagues. And even in that one, Pharaoh almost turned, but his heart became hardened. And so the last and the final plague was this, the death of the firstborn of all households. This was showing power over all gods, including Pharaoh himself. Now, I don't know if you can imagine this night, but there was a night where all the firstborn children were going to die. Everybody knew this was coming. There was a night when God was about to show his power over his very good creation. People, different, unique, one of a kind. And imagine that night, the wonder, what's going to happen? Is my son going to die tonight? I couldn't quite imagine that night because I only have daughters, but just saying, child, right? That night, an innocent lamb's blood was shed and the death that was experienced in the households of the Egyptians was not experienced by the Israelites because an innocent animal died and his blood had been placed on the doorposts. God accepted the shedding of an innocent lamb in the place of the firstborn. All those that were rescued that night were rescued through the blood and a redeemer would come on behalf of God's people. See, in this, what we see is that God is holy, he is aware, and he is God. That night, the last plague, the innocent had to be slain so that those children and those families could get through. Now, this will be mirrored back to the gospel, forward to the gospel. Forward to the gospel in this way that it is only through the blood of Jesus that we will be saved. It is not by any person's works. It is not by any person's good deeds. It is not how well your house is kept together. It's not about how well you can fake it and make everyone convinced that you got it together. It's not about control. It's not about having all of your ducks in a row. There's only one duck that you need in your row. And that is that you have given your life to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And through his innocent blood shed for us on the cross, we can have eternal life. Now, some of you might say this. That's ah, so much in this text, Ryan. So much in this text, and it is. We just covered like, I think it's like 18 chapters of Exodus quickly, and we could have spent 18 months talking about these texts. We could have parsed through I am that I am. We could have parsed through all these things. But I'll say this to you, church. If you ever get over the gospel... The Passover, the true Passover, Jesus, you've missed the whole thing. If you ever think that there's something more profound 
than the blood of Jesus shed for you on the cross, bringing you life eternal? You've missed the whole thing. If you ever come to a place when we sing a song like death was arrested and you don't realize that because Jesus died for me on the cross, I have life. If the cross doesn't sort of bring some sort of emotion to you, and I'm not about emotionalism, but I'll tell you this, someone dying in my place because of my sin is a bit emotional. If we ever get over these things, we've missed the whole thing. Because as far as I can tell, the whole thing is pointing to that one thing. Is that a savior came and died for me on the cross? And I don't know about you, I just haven't gotten over it and I hope I never do. What Revelation says is I won't. For all time and eternity, I will scream, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. See, God is holy. He is aware. And he is God. And I believe in the day in which we live, we need a resurgence, a resurrection of simply just believing that God is God. And I am not. And I am not speaking to God man to man. I'm speaking to God man to God. And he is far above me, and he is far beyond me, and he is holy. And in light of that, I need to watch myself. I need to pursue holiness myself, in word and in deed. I need to seek greater knowledge of who he is so that I might live that out in the day-to-day of my life. God is God. I am not. The other thing that I would say is that simply this, that if you, if you don't know Jesus as your savior, today would be a great day to give your life to him by turning in repentance of your sins and placing your faith in him, recognizing that one had to shed his blood for you in order for you to be set right with God. If you believe that's true and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus today, just simply say, God, forgive me for sinning against you. I repent of my sins. Turn in faith to you. I believe, I believe that you died on the cross to cover all my sins. See, some of you came in here today and you were really convinced that the sun is setting on your life. You're convinced that things are really hopeless. You're convinced in certain situations that God's done. He's not speaking, he's not moving, he's not going to act. And I just simply say to you today, that's not true. He is not done. The sun has not set. If you know Jesus, the sun is risen and it will continually rise for all of your days. We do not have a God that is unaware. We do not have a God who does not know every moment and every feeling and every situation of your life. And we do not have a God that does not want to, that we do not have a God that doesn't desire to act upon these things. He desires to meet you in these things. So what I would challenge us to today, and maybe you can do that at these altars, but if you are coming in the room today believing the sun is set, maybe God's done with you. You can never know him because your sin is too great. Oh, you don't know how powerful the cross is. Your sin is not too great for the power of God to redeem and restore and heal you back to him. 
your situation isn't too large for him to step into and bring healing in your life. Maybe this morning at these altars, you come down and you say, God, help me. Help my son, help my daughter, help my aunt, help my cousin, help my mom, help my dad. Or don't let the sun set in this situation. See, I believe that we kind of live in a negativity that everything's going bad. I just don't think that's true because I don't see a God that acts in that way. And my God, he steps into broken things and he makes them whole and he makes them good and he redeems and he heals and he restores and he washes and he cleanses. This is who he is and what he does. Maybe today you can trust him for that in your life. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we believe this morning that you are a God who acts, who moves, who works, that God, you are holy, that you are different, that you're set apart, that you're far above us, you're far beyond us. God, you are, you are a God who is not unaware of our circumstances, but aware. You see our affliction. You hear our cries. And you use us you use others to step into these things and bring life and hope. Lord, you are God. You created everything there is. You have every right, even right now, to cease giving life to everything, yet you continue to steady your hand and bring life to all things in this world. You have proven yourself in time and history that you're powerful over earth, animals, insects, the sun, the moon, and life itself. God, you are God. And we are not. So Lord, whatever we need to do to respond to you today and whatever you've said, Lord, I pray you'd give us the strength not to leave this room quickly, but bow before you, recognizing you as you are, repenting of that which we need to, trusting in you for that which we feel hopeless in. But Lord, I pray for the person who doesn't know you, they'd repent and turn to you. The person that does know you, they'd place greater confidence in you person that came in this room feeling like the sun was setting on their own life, on a situation. God, I pray that you'd fill these altars up. People placing their hope, their trust in you. Lord, I pray that in each and every situation, you, the sun would rise. You'd bring something new, something good, something holy trust you for these things as we sing. We do so in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you'll stand this morning, let's sing. These altars are open for you to respond.